Well, hello and welcome back to another edition of EdChoice Chats. This is Mike McShane, Director of National Research at EdChoice, with another monthly installment of our Tracker podcast. I am pleased to be joined today by my colleagues John Kristoff and Jen Wagner. And we have a lot to discuss. John and Jen, I don't know if you have experienced sort of the same thing that I have. I was trying to find this quote that sort of sums up the last month. And right before we got on here, I I found it and I realized it was said by Lenin. So I don't know if it's necessarily the best thing to lead the podcast with, but I'm leaning in because even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again. He's famous for saying, well, he's famous for a lot of horrible things, but he is known for this particular quote where he said, there are decades when nothing happens and then there are weeks when decades happen. And I think with respect to the coronavirus, a lot of things, it almost feels like the last few weeks since we've chatted, so much has happened. I mean, at that time, there was so much ambiguity about the fall, about the summer. And I don't know if you're like me, but some other organization, you know, some nonprofits that I'm involved with and volunteered with or on the board of or whatever, you know, the conversations we were having even a month ago, like, oh, will our October fundraiser go on? Now it's like, okay, we're booking hotels for October, September, November. This is going in person. We're going to have a guest speaker come in. Even we here at Ed Choices, we're thinking about events and planning. A lot of the sort of trigger is being pulled on, on events. I think as people think about schooling in the fall, the sort of ambiguity of like, will schools reopen in the fall seems to be kind of decided at this point that kids are going back and they're going back in person. And so it was a really interesting time. So again, for those that are unfamiliar, we, in partnership with Morning Consult, poll a nationally representative sample of Americans every month. The polling that we're going to be talking about today was in the field from May 7th to May 20th, 2021. And it's funny because even with all of this change recently, one of the numbers that stood out to me, and Jen, I might have you start on this, was the classic kind of polling right track, wrong track question that we ask. So particularly with school parents, but this was mirrored in our general population. We asked this question, do you feel things in K-12 education are generally going in the right direction, or do you feel they've gotten off to the wrong track? And on almost any of these questions, when we ask about your local school district, your state, or your nation, the answers in May of 21 were almost identical to those in March of 2020. So even though so much has happened in the last year, and if you can see on the wonderful slide deck that we have available on our website, You've seen ups and downs and actually a lot of downs, but then this sort of slow uptick. Is this kind of one of those LOL, nothing matters? Like, how, how do you look at this where we're basically right back where we started after this really, you know, cataclysmic, life-changing event? I mean, I don't have a Lenin quote to lead in with, but I, you know, can say that the whole more things change, more they stay the same, right? That's if you look at this slide, which tracks positive, negative sentiment about education at different levels from March of last year through May of this year. Yeah, we're right back where we started. And I think to me, you know, and we can get more into this as we kind of dig into the details of what parents are looking for. We've been talking for months, right? Like this has been a a life changing pandemic. Obviously, we've seen a lot of economic damage, a lot of learning loss, a lot of loss of life. And we've been talking for months about getting to that point where the world is healing, things are reopening, and what does that mean for K-12 education? I think if we look specifically at these numbers, okay, you know, 
things went way down in the winter months when, you know, everybody was stuck indoors, getting sick. There was no, you know, real vaccine timeline on the horizon. And to your point, Mike, everything is just really moving quickly right now. You know, cruise ships are sailing, people are booking flights, you know, schools are having to make decisions on whether or not to keep, you know, online learning versus getting everyone back in the classroom. So to me, this is, okay, things are back to quote unquote normal, but are they? And what do we do now that we can start having that conversation we've been talking about for months? Yeah, you know, John, it's interesting because we, we've been asking this question again, based on what you have seen read or heard about the coronavirus outbreak so far, how comfortable are you with your children returning to school? And we have this, again, Morning Console put together this wonderful graph that kind of looks like a wave where you can track the percentage of people who said that they're comfortable over this time period. Now, interestingly, in May, the breakdown was about 65% of parents say that they are comfortable. So that's very comfortable plus somewhat comfortable. And 30% in total are uncomfortable. But one of the things I thought was interesting was that those numbers are only one point different. So the the total comfortable is just up one point from April. Total uncomfortable is down one point, even though uh, sort of as we pointed out, these changes in vaccines and cruise ships are sailing, all these things are happening. I wonder, do you think this is just the sort of equilibrium that we've reached, that there's going to be a kind of third or so of people or, or a three in 10 of people who are just worried about the coronavirus. And even when things happen outside in the world, there's just this kind of baseline level of folks that that are concerned. And this is the status quo we should expect going into the fall. Do we think those numbers are going to keep going down? What do you see when you see those numbers? It is interesting because I think it was just last month we were joking that like, man, at this rate, you know, 100% of people are going to be comfortable like before the end of the year. And then, of course, you know, in this month, the growth comes to like a crashing halt at, you know, just a percentage point or two growth from one month to the next. It is interesting because cases continue to go down. I just checked today. The numbers are shockingly low. Like the number of new confirmed cases on a daily basis are, you know, similar to what they were like when the coronavirus was at its at its earliest stages, and we had no idea, you know, what kind of year we were going to be having. And yet, you know, the numbers of comfort with school are not continuing to grow. It is a little strange. It does make me think that there is just some level of concern that people are going to have for an extended period of time. I think there are a couple things that could happen over the summer that could increase comfort by at least a little bit by the time school rolls around. One is some evidence that numbers do not increase and that there are not a lot of outbreaks among kids camps and things like that, or maybe just across the country generally as people open up back to normal. So basically we don't see another big spike. Maybe there are some people who are still uncomfortable with in-person education because they are assuming that because the kids are not vaccinated yet, because that's not approved, that you know it's just a matter of time before we see more outbreaks again. If that does not happen over the summer, despite a lot of kids things, you know, occurring normally across the country, maybe that's that would be evidence for some people that school too can go back to normal. And then uh, another thing, perhaps too obviously, is whether we see an emergency authorization for a vaccine for children by the fall. I saw a report today that apparently the deal to do a trial 
of Pfizer for kids age five through 11 has been solidified. So that's going to happen. And supposedly there is a possibility for an emergency authorization for a kid's Pfizer vaccine to be done in September. And so if people see that on the horizon, maybe that would increase their comfort with in-person education, maybe not by fall, but maybe pretty early into fall. Those are the two things that I can think of. There are some people I think who just need wait and see. And then some people might be that the coronavirus came out of nowhere. So who knows what else could come out of nowhere? Who knows when it could return and things like that. I think it's a very good point. And it'll be interesting to see as we go into the fall. I mean, clearly the majority of folks right now are comfortable, right? But it is important to know that there is this sizable minority. And I think, you know, in some ways there's almost like the visual representation, like, if, if you're out and about now, you see the folks that are kind of walking down the street by themselves with masks on. And you're like, look, they're just still worried about the coronavirus. And I'm, you know, a generally very live and let live person. I realize there are some people particularly who like to write screeds on the Internet who just get incensed when they see people like this. And I'm just like, I don't know, somebody's scared of the coronavirus and they want to wear a mask. I don't think they're really hurting anybody. So it doesn't really bother me. But we don't need to wade into that issue necessarily. Suffice it to say that I think that, you know, there are folks that are going to be still very concerned about the coronavirus that are out there. And I think we can expect some flashpoints, depending on how folks are concentrated in various school districts and others, as they try to navigate reopening, where you have a majority of people that want something, but a sizable minority who might not. And, you know, I think that leads into You know, we've been asking this question about offering multiple approaches during the coronavirus. So do we think that schools should offer one approach or multiple learning options? So this is generally if we're thinking an in-person option, a remote option, a hybrid option, any of those things that are out there. And there's been some talk in the news recently of, you know, some school districts saying, look, we're going to keep a remote option going forward. And others saying, nope, we're not doing remote. Everybody's coming back in person. We think it's a waste of resources or we think teachers can't teach in it well or for any number of reasons that they've had. And so we asked the question in May and 67% of school parents want to see multiple learning options. But 23% said, no, they just want one approach to be offered. So Jen, how do you see that sort of playing out going forward? Do you think that 23% is going to go up? Do we think more and more folks are going to say, like, don't even bother, don't waste the resources, we'd rather have that money in my kid's classroom that they're in in person? Or do we expect something different? Yeah, and I, you know, the answer is I don't know, because, you know, I think... Come on, this is a place for baseless speculation. <laughs> it's safe, it's safe for this. We've never held any of each other accountable for any of our predictions. Well, that's a fair point, in which case I'll just pontificate. <laughs> there um, we go. So I think this is this is really the first month, and it's reflected in the numbers we just talked about and some of the ones we're yet to get to, where the hypothetical meets reality. And I think it's really interesting to look at these numbers. And, you know, again, you've got folks who are more comfortable sending their kids back to school, 65% there about, but you've still got 67% that are like, oh, but I want different options. And to me, as we continue to poll over the coming months, and, and it's also important, let's remember, it's June. It's summer. In almost every place in America, school is out. So, you know, you've got parents, and I count myself in this category, who are just like, whew, thank heavens we made it, right? We made it through. And I'm not really even necessarily thinking about next school year, because right now I'm thinking about going to Cedar Point next week or, you know, going to Hawaii in a few weeks. And It'll be interesting to see how, again, this is, you know, more hypothetical of, you know, you want multiple learning options, great. 
Will parents, though, follow through on this and demand or politely request that their school districts actually do what they want them to do? Or will that 23% grow not because, you know, people only want the one option, but because of inertia, because their school is going to decide, honestly, without a lot of input, most likely over the summer, this is what you get and don't throw a fit. And then as that starts to happen, as folks start to realize what their options are, or more importantly, aren't in the fall, will we see parents making different choices that align with what they want in their head to make sure that they get what they want in their head in reality for their kids? And I think, you know, I, not to spoil things to come in the podcast, but, you know, we've seen in our research over the last year that there are a lot of people who want a mix, not just of learning options, but of learning locations. So I will not spoil things to come, but I don't see that number changing. So the question is, what will parents do? What will families do as their options are either in line with what they expected or you know, are not in line with what they want and then they have a choice to make? Well, thank you for that perfect pass. I'm now gonna lob it to John to slam into the uh, the bucket here because yeah, talking about these options in May, we've been asking this question about homeschooling. Obviously, have your opinions on homeschooling changed as a result of the pandemic? Ticked up during May, and asking this question about hybrid homeschooling again. And I have to continue to sort of express my surprise at this. I did not expect this to see this happening, but. You know, some of these, so we asked this question about uh, after the pandemic, well, to what extent would you prefer homeschooling to be scheduled each week with some time at home and some in school? The options that we give for a mix of home and school continue to grow in popularity. So three days at home is up five percentage points among school parents today. And perhaps interestingly, when we say, no, the option that we give for completely outside the home. So no, you don't want any homeschooling at all. It's down to 32%. It dropped seven points since April. And the completely at home stayed the same. So those numbers were redistributed throughout some combination of home and school. So, John, how do you make sense of that? I mean, it seems to me like this hybrid option and even traditional homeschooling, all of those continue to be really favorable options for families. Yeah, it's really fascinating. That's just a mind boggling number to me that only 32%, less than one in three people's ideal learning setup involves five days a week outside of the home is just mind-blowing every time I read that and, and say that. And in my mind, like this is an element of the new normal. I, like we talked about for a long time, we asked questions about how COVID would just force us to reframe how we approach the world and what kinds of new setups that we were forced to adopt during COVID, what would stick around? And I think as, again, as case numbers drop, as a lot of other areas of our lives go back to normal, a lot of social activities, a lot of travel is opening up as normal, but these preferences for hybrid homeschooling, for some learning to take place in the home is not just staying the same but continuing to strengthen i think is pretty incredible and and the fact that it's been happening for such a long time tells me that 
you know, it's not going away. And these preferences are not going to change very quickly, regardless of what districts choose to do. I think a lot of parents have just had a taste of what it looks like having their kids at home and maybe figured out some ways to make things work, maybe, you know, had opportunities to learn things about their kids, learning styles and motivation and saw new possibilities for their kid. And maybe their work possibilities have changed due to COVID as well. I know that like extended working from home has been something that a lot of workplaces have been talking about. So I think this is just an element of of the new normal. Now, whether districts and schools will service these desires, of course, as, as Jen talked about, is another question entirely. And so maybe years down the road, you know, if, if districts do not adapt, you know, in, in some places, maybe parents will kind of go back to some level of inertia where, you know, okay, completely outside the home is fine. But I think there is opportunity for a lot of private school, charter schools out there or, you know, districts and open enrollment areas. I think there are opportunities for schools to figure out a way to service these desires to say, hey, we are the people who are going to figure out how to best do this hybrid approach. We're going to find the teachers who excel in online learning and find teachers who do well in the classroom and allow parents to figure out a way to utilize both of them. And based on the results we've been getting for a very long time, that is a very good sales pitch to a lot of families. I, I think schools could learn a lot from these questions that we've been asking over the last Absolutely. several months. Yeah. And look, one of the big topics that continues to come up in education world is the role of tutoring, right? Because we see terrible fears that we have of students that fell behind during the pandemic. But also, I think for lots of reasons, because students were in many of these alternative environments and a lot of them maybe were accelerated during this time period. I think we, we're not going to know for a while exactly how it broke down, who was helped, who was harmed and, and how that all shakes out. But it seems to me one at least intuitive solution to this is to try and, I don't know, personalize is the best word for it, but, but try and sort of decrease or focus interventions on individual students. So tutoring is obviously an idea for this. There's lots of federal money that's being spent. So tutoring, I think, to the best of my knowledge, if I think back to graduate school, has a pretty strong evidence base for it. The knock against it always is that it's very labor intensive and it's very expensive, right? Because you have to focus on individual kids as opposed to classrooms of 15, 20, or, or 25. Well, now we got a bunch of federal money to be spent. So tutoring seems to be a reasonable choice. And, and so we've asked some questions about tutoring. So even now, we asked, is your child getting tutored outside of regular school hours? So between folks saying, yes, they are currently being tutored, no, but I'm actively looking for a tutor, or no, but I will be looking soon for a tutor, you get almost half of school parents, 49% either currently have a tutor or they are looking for a tutor. So by the way, if anybody's interested in starting a tutoring business, we got a nice market out there for you. And I think also parents are looking for some other things. When we look at things like, we ask a whole scope of questions of how helpful do you think each of the following interventions will be? We give them a menu of things, but tutoring's at the top of that list too. Something like, I think 61% of school parents, 62% of all adults say that tutoring would be an effective way to do this. So, so Jen, how do you look at this tutoring issue? Do you know of, of, of any stuff that's being done already around tutoring? 
Do you see that sort of shaping the way schools kind of respond in the short and medium term to the coronavirus? Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything specific other than to, to point out that a few months ago, our own Paul DePerna, the head of our research department, wrote a great piece on, you know, starting a national tutoring corps. I know others have echoed the need for that. But I think what that really does underscore is what you just hit on, Mike, which is that individualized approach to learning. And we see that in this breakdown. So we, again, we did ask a battery of questions of like, here's a bunch of things that you might think are helpful, you know, which are the most helpful. Tutoring came out really, really high among school parents, 61%. Individualized learning plans at 65%. Access to high-speed internet, which obviously has become a big issue over the last 15 months. Additional counseling or mental health support. I know we didn't have time to get to this today, but as you look across the breakdown of how parents think things have gone during the pandemic, the number of parents who think, you know, academically their kids have done okay is much, much higher than the percentage that think their kids have done okay socially or emotionally, which is probably a topic for an entirely separate podcast. But I think what's really interesting about this particular breakdown and asking people what they care about is also what they don't want. And so we asked people, you know, hey, would you want to have additional school days on the weekend or longer classroom hours or summer school? And pretty much across the board, they were like, no, no, thank you. I don't want any more of that thing. I want it to be focused on my child. I want these interventions, whether it's tutoring or pods or whatever it might be, to be very driven by an individual's family needs. And I think, you know, again, that's reflected in our support that we see for school choice policies, which I know we're going to get into a little bit here next. But, you know, individualized education, I think, is the thing that people can take away from the last 15 months. And I think that's where families are going to put their focus in the coming months as we head into the 21-22 school year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as you uh, foreshadowed, one of the things that could help provide some of these are education savings accounts. And as we've mentioned on this podcast, and if anyone is even a casual consumer of uh, EdChoice content, you will know that this spring has been absolutely boomtown for state legislatures either passing or expanding education savings accounts program. One of the things that I worry about whenever there's this big burst of enthusiasm is you might encounter some kind of buyer's remorse, right? Where, sure, there's a big wave and, you know, deals are cut in legislatures and bills get signed and everybody's happy. But then, you know, when the actual work starts of, oh my goodness, this program's actually going to exist and we actually have to do stuff now, folks might say, oh man, maybe we moved too fast. Maybe we did too much. Maybe we don't know what we have. Well, we've been asking this question about um, support for education savings accounts. So now that multiple states have done this, they've been in the news everywhere. In May, strong support for ESAs actually increased by four points. The numbers that we see of somewhat opposed go down. So, so the way it looks, 33% of respondents strongly support ESAs, 36% somewhat support, only 6% somewhat opposed, and 4% strongly opposed. And actually, uh, Morning Consult broke down a lot of the individual demographic groups that we look at. And I mean, you can sort of pick your poison here of what you're most interested in. But I mean, just versus April, some numbers that stand out to me, Democrats up seven points, those in the Northeast up 12 points, Hispanic respondents up 10 points, Gen Z up 17 points. And so I think I can't think of a better segue to John's thoughts than his generation being up 17 points. 
So as the resident Gen Zer on the podcast, what do you see in these numbers? ESA TikToks abounding for sure. Uh, no, there we go. Um, <laughs> that's what we do. Now ESAs are, I mean, as you mentioned, they're growing a lot. They always rate super highly in our polling because when you just describe it to people, hey, we'll put money in an account that you can spend on any variety of educational expenses. It makes sense to people, and it makes sense to people across political ideologies and backgrounds and demographics. It makes sense to people. And I think it's actually interesting following up the tutoring and learning loss conversation with this, because one thing that I did want to mention about tutoring, I'm going to cycle back to this real quick, but while the interest in tutoring is very high and of all the different interventions that parents are interested in, something like tutoring or individualized education is really popular. Parents want that. But the number of parents who are saying in our survey that their child is being tutored is only up three percentage points more than it was in February. So despite this greater need for tutoring and dealing with learning loss and trying to help kids over the summer, parents recognize that, schools recognize that, at least in our polling, not a lot more kids are taking advantage of that. When you combine that with some of the staffing issues that I know some schools are having, there's a lot of money being offered to teachers to do tutoring and to do summer school that a lot of teachers are, are saying, you know, like my mental health is more important. And, and things like that. And the Edgenomics Lab at Georgetown are finding that schools are really not spending any more money than they are legally have to creating more like new programs to help kids with learning loss and, and things like that and using money instead on teacher bonuses and, and paying off debt and things like that. If you have something like an ESA where you are giving, like when, when you have this influx of money, if you tell parents, hey, you can use this on a variety of educational expenses, parents can go find their own tutors. Or maybe they have a, like a family friend and they can compensate that person's time to help tutor the kid to catch up to get to grade level by the time fall comes around because, you know, their school didn't have enough staffing to help their kid out or whatever it is. That's just an example here. Offering parents the ability to pay for the specific kind of service that their kid needs and taking that outside of what their school is or is not able to provide, whether it comes to staffing or resources and things like that, makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. And I think it's really exciting that we've seen as much growth in ESA legislation and ESA programs and ESA future enrollment through bill expansions. I think it's really exciting because all the disruption we've seen this year, I think, has just really opened people's eyes to how they can take control of their kids' education, what they would be able to do that maybe one specific school in their area could not. Well, I'm really glad you ended on that note, John, because as, as you started there, I was about to say, that's some of that Gen Z nihilism that y'all are so well known for, but you, you turned it out there with some optimism, which this millennial certainly appreciates. Well, look, we could talk about this all day, and I would actually <laughs> thoroughly enjoy doing that as opposed to the whole rake of meetings that I think I have to do back to back for the next like four hours. But we're going to have to leave it there. John, Jen, thank you so much. As always, your insights were wonderful. Everyone who's listening, please, we have posted the entire uh, slide deck that gives all of this information and much more. We have all of the cross tabs. We have the questionnaire, everything that you're interested in seeing all posted up on our website. And I can say, actually, our new website, if you all have not gone to www.edchoice.org yet, shame on you, rectify that immediately. As soon as this podcast ends, open it up, 
It looks great. It's user-friendly. It's wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again on another edition of EdChoice Chats. Thank <laughs> you.